0: Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us on another day and another opportunity to lift up and love our Lord Jesus and to go out and tell other people about His amazing grace and mercy while there is yet time. If you are joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute. It's a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, you can actually go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com. The bigger, the better, Amen. With grace involved, the the big influence of God upon our heart, folks, is reflecting our lives. So, go to that website, BigGrace dot com. You find out more information on Raven Ministries International. I, I got a call from a guy just a couple of days ago. He said he'd been on our website, looking around. He said he'd spent hours just pouring over and reading and clicking and, and all these. Uh, different uh, sites and our links to our different teams, and so he said he'd spent this literally is what he said hours looking at videos and everything else, and so we get a lot of traffic on that because there's a lot of good information there. You know, we're, we do. We're here Monday through Friday doing a uh, expository teaching through the Word of God, and th- these classes that we're teaching now that you're a part of, if you're listening live or maybe delay, Yes, we are here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for this expository teaching. Hey, listen, if you'll go online to that website, we've, uh, we uh, are going to make available these classes. We'll probably have you know, 60-something classes. We've got 43 uh, of the Revelation teaching. That's what we're on right now. We're on studying the book of the Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. But if you'll go to our website, that thatbiggrace.com, and click on Raven Institute. You can actually download all these previous classes in mp3 format to your computer. You can actually listen to them right there online. In addition to the teaching of Revelation, last year we did 197 hours just strictly on the book of Romans. And those things are just an invaluable resource on Bible study, I believe. Uh, probably one of the more, more detailed, I don't know about the most, but probably one of the more detailed studies, uh, expository teachings... An audio format on the book of Romans that you'll probably find. Maybe, probably, probably, maybe one of the most on, as far as the audio format. I mean, probably not written, but, uh, as far as putting it down in an audio thing that you can take with you and listen to. Very, very detailed, and I think it'd be very, uh, advantageous for you to get. Not just for it, but to help you with your studies and other things. That, what, what, really what I try to do is try to give something out there that prompts you to get in the Word yourself. By no means is this the end of it all. And if your, uh, dedication or your, uh, uh Studying the Word of God is just strictly relegated to uh, just this hour, Monday through Friday. You're really missing out. We, I hope this serves as kind of a catalyst to, to really whet your appetite in uh, desire. For the things of God and for the Word of God, because it's invaluable for you. You know, we talk to people all the time out on the streets as we get out and witness, uh, because that's really what we're all about, to restore a vision. You see that acronym RAVEN. It's to restore vision and evangelize nations. And the way we restore the vision is through the teaching of the words uh, of the Word of God. Then we go out and actually apply that word. This old principle of James chapter 1, that says, Don't just be hearers of the Word. But be doers also, otherwise you're deceiving yourself. And so, a lot of what we do is we teach and train in order to go out. But one of the things that we hear from people all the time is, uh, just this, uh, surrender basically to sin. And, uh, you, you hear last night we got, got into a, tr- a really good conversation with a, a father and a daughter from, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and a grown daughter, and, uh, these folks were raised in a particular faith and denomination. And uh, basically the, the point of contention for the daughter was, listen, we're always going to be in sin. We're going to do this. She pulled out a pack of cigarettes from each pocket and said, listen, I got these and I smoke. And you know what? I still love God and I'm, all these things. And, and I don't consider you know these things sin. And it became a justification of those things. And so we take her to the Word of God and show her very clearly that God calls us to be holy, to walk in righteousness, to overcome. And that He's given us that ability. Folks, listen, apart from faith in the cross, we don't have any ability to walk in righteousness. It's not self-righteous. It's not, it's not willpower. It's not self-will. But it's coming to Christ, and Christ in us, the hope of glory, him, us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, being changed and transformed. And allowing Him to come into us, and to allowing the, the, our new nature in Christ Jesus to overcome our old nature, that empowers us to do that. But if it is not a genuine in, experience, and we have this disconnected, disingenuous type of religion, you, you will—you'll always fall short. And so the issue with her was was that listen, you're going to sin. And so uh, Brother William Taylor, who was out there, asked a great question to them because they were talking about well, you're always going to do. It. He said, he said, do you think you can go one minute without sinning? And the guy said, yeah. He said, let me ask you, do you think you can go five minutes without sinning? And the guy said, yeah. He said, how about an hour? Do you think you could actually go an hour without sinning? The guy said, yeah. He said, how about two hours then? Well, maybe, yeah, probably. How about five hours? Yeah, I could probably go five hours. He said, so if you can go five hours, what's going to keep you from going ten hours? And if you can go ten hours, what's going to keep you from going 24 hours without sinning? If you can go 24 hours, which is a day, what's going to keep you going two days? You, you see, the, the really that's a, it's an excellent way of putting that, why? Because your relationship with Jesus is a moment by moment thing, and so, and I've said this many times that there's no no temptation, none whatsoever uh, that comes upon us, but that which is common to all men. But with every temptation, every minute, He provides a way of escape, and so if I can go one minute, I can certainly say I could go ten minutes. If I can go ten, I can go ten hours, and so why? because of the Word of God in our life. And so the guy asked me, he said, you know, asked me how long I'd been born again. And I told him, uh, dating back to the 80s. And he said, so have you, you sinned in that time? I said, absolutely I have. I said, but I have an advocate with the Father. And I said, but my sin are, are are less common today than they were when I first believed. Why? Because nearer is my salvation than when I first believed. What's been the difference in that? It's the knowledge of the Word of God. Folks, listen, what becomes the stopgap for anything that we do in our life, for failure, for failure to overcome, for all these things, is an adherence to the Word of God. But folks, how will you know what not to do? How will you know what's not right unless you study the Word of Truth? And so, if we can do anything in this uh, form, in this format, uh, at all, to, to your advantage, It's to get you to that place of having a way of escape. And that's what the Word of God does. David hid the Word in his heart that he would not sin against him. And you know what? For me, there's things that I cannot do because I know what the Word says about it. If I didn't know where there's no law... There's no sin. In other words, there's no uh, awareness of that sin in my life. And so we want to be here to, to get the Word of God into your life. That way you have the ability to overcome. Because we know through one sacrifice, obviously the cross, He has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. We're sanctified, justified through that washing and that regeneration. Of the word, and so just want to throw that out at you. Um, and uh, we're going to be diving right back into our. We're going to be actually in the 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation. It's kind of somewhat bittersweet again because I know if there's if I'm in 21 today. The next chapter is going to be twenty two and that's the final chapter in our study on the revelation and I hope you've really got something uh, out of this and kind of gave you a good uh foundation in your study on the book of revelation as you look at it a little bit closer and what I really hope is that it's not just something you're looking at in a eschatological sense but really a revelational sense of who Jesus Christ is and just how much he loves us and just how much he's continuing throughout the ages to to, to bring mercy and bring bring hope and bring peace to anybody that would call upon his name right down to that final final minute before his return. So let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Just ask for his leading direction and revelation on this great, chapter 21 is great because it's a heaven chapter. You know, we've been through hell, so to speak, in the last few chapters looking at the, the, the judgments and all these things and even the plagues that, that began. Uh, we began to look at the unfolding of events beginning with chapter 6 uh, and chapter Tough stuff that we've had to endure and look at. But I tell you what, this is what we're all waiting for. And this glimpse of chapter 21, I hope that you're going to see. Uh, it's really the, just something glorious that we have to, to look forward to. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the revelation, Lord God, of, of the cross, Lord God, and of, of the, the future glory of the Lord that's going to be uh, with us and, and we with you. And so, Father, today as we come to you, Lord God, we, just, we honor you, Lord God. We love you. We love your word, Father. We thank you, Lord God, that you sent your son Jesus and he became the word made flesh and dwelt among us. But, Lord God, he's given us, Father, this this, this word of God, this God-breathed Theonoustos, these 1179 chapters that we call the Bible, the book, Lord God, to, to show us your heart, Lord God. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that we can hide your word in our heart, that we won't continue to sin against you, Lord God. But if we do sin, Father, I thank you that we have an advocate with the Father in Christ Jesus, and we'll confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, as we come today, Lord God, we come. Father, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Lord God, desiring after truth, desiring, Lord God, after those tools, Lord God, of your word, Lord God, that's going to keep us, Lord God, walking in holiness, Lord God, sanctified, Lord God, before your presence. So, Father, today as we come, Lord God, we just want our eyes to be open. Lord God, we want to see clearly that which you speak. We want to be Berean-like, Lord God, to receive the word readily, but to search the scriptures to see if it be so. So, Father, as we come today searching the scriptures, we just ask you, Lord God, just to be alive to us, Lord God, just to show up, Lord God, in a powerful way, wherever we're at, Lord God. We thank you that you transcend time, space, culture, Lord God, education all these things. And Father, you're the one, Lord God, that leads and guides into all truth. Lord God, cleanse us, forgive us our sins. Father, any unforgiveness, bitterness, anything that would impede, Lord God, the flow of your spirit, Lord God, and your truth through our hearts and lives. And Father, in all these things we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Folks, you know, the final two chapters of this revelation, really what they're doing is they're presenting this, this future that we have. You know, you want to know uh, exactly what lies ahead for those that, that follow him. And I'm talking about every anyone, any saint that's that's followed him and loved him and choose, chose him and believed upon him and walked in righteousness towards him through all the dispensations. And so this, this, this condition, this state that we're, uh, that we're going to be looking at in these, these, uh, these next verses is just really a powerful testimony of what awaits us. You know, Jesus told us, we quote this all the time, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. Folks, listen, when well, you got your eye on the prize, Chapter 21, when you're looking at chapter 21 and chapter 22, I tell you what, it really changes everything else because you, you see the light, quote unquote, at the end of the tunnel and that light is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to really see that described here in these uh, this 21st chapter. And so, if we talk about all the time, well, this place is not my home. I'm just a so uh, sojourner, just come passing through this land. Lord God, but how can I, I I get my focus? I want to be that have that that heavenly mindset. I want to have that divine, godly perspective. And we get that in chapter 21. You know, so my my question for you today, as we open this up, is what are your goals? Are your goals a better job? Are your goals a, your, uh, a bigger family? Are your goals a bigger house or a nicer car? You know what, folks? All that stuff is going to pass away. We're going to see it one day that stuff is going to mean nothing. And it's going to be like choosing uh, uh, a copper penny over you know, a stack of gold. I mean, in the natural, it would be like that. Folks, listen. God has so much more to offer us. And we're going to begin to see that right here. And so let's kind of dive into our study this morning with verse 1 of chapter 21. Here's what he said. This is John once again. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Folks, the passing away of the first heaven and the first earth... Basically, what it does, it occurs right after the conclusion of the great white throne judgment. Remember what the white throne judgment was. It's not a judgment that's reserved for the believer. It was a judgment reserved for the unbeliever. You know, the believer, those that came to Christ, came to that Bema seat, that place where we were rewarded according to the the things that we did for Christ Jesus in this lifetime. And those five crowns that we mentioned that we obtained at that place. But the white throne judgment is where the books were opened, and whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. And so we, we see those those things happen. It's, it's the, the heaven and earth are passed away. And this is this part of this whole renovation uh, uh, program, I guess in lack of a better term, this, this renovation that God's doing for a, a, a this new world, a new heaven and a new earth that Jesus predicted. He basically prophesied and said in Matthew 24, 34, uh, excuse me, twenty-four thirty-five. when he said heaven and earth will pass away. And the time and this method that we're talking about here on this passing away of the first heaven and the first earth is, is described in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in uh, verses uh, 7 and verses 10 through 13. And I want you to look at what he said in, in these verses, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, then 10 through 13. And it said, And the heavens which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of godly men. I'm going to stop there just for a second. Remember he gave a promise to, uh, to Noah uh, that you know, he would not destroy the, uh, the world again with water. He does. He destroys it with fire. It's going to be purged with fire. And So this whole purging that's happening is going to happen by fire. He's going to consume the heavens and earth. He's going to make a new heaven and new earth. And So he said, uh, reserved unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person... Now look at this. If we know all those things are going to be dissolved, your job, your pension, your, your stocks, uh, your, your insurance, your, uh, your mortgage, all those things are going to be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness... looking uh, looking for the hasting of the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to this promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so he's saying, listen, if you know everything is going to fall apart, why do you put so much stock in it? Why is it when you know that all these things that we strive for in this life, that one day they're going to pass, you know, look at what Jesus said so many times. He said, you know, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And I've asked people that on the streets many times. I'm talking to them and, and, and presenting the gospel, and they're like, not, well, I'm really not ready. And I'll say, I tell you what, would you take 10 bucks for your soul tonight? And you'll see the way they look at me, like, no way. I said, come on, dude, give me, I'll give you, I'll, let me go in my pocket, and I'll pull out a $20 bill. I said, I will give you $20 for your eternal soul tonight. And there's like, no, all right, man, I'll, I'll up the ante a little bit. I can probably come up with between this, probably $300. I'll give you $300 for your soul. It's like, no way, man, I wouldn't give my soul for $300. And I said, you wouldn't give it for $300, which you can put in your pocket and go spend, but you'll give it up for your rebellion, which you'll never be able to spend. You'll give it up for a night of sexual immorality that will pass away. You'll give it up for all these other You're willing to give it up for all these other things, but you won't give it up for something that's tangible to you. And you can just see how people are, and they're they're willing to give up everything for what God has told them to do. And folks, listen, we've got to come to the place where we realize that everything in this life is passing away, it's fleeting. And regardless if your life is just a few years or you live a hundred years, that's just a whisper and just a a flicker, so to speak, in, in the scope of eternity. So we've got to really look to that place. And so he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And so, folks, look at this. This is interesting to me. In the new world, in the new, in the new earth, the, the sea or the oceans are going to be totally eliminated. And, you know, you think about why, you know, the seas oftentimes, we talk talking about the sea gave up the dead and, you know, rising out of the sea. We've seen all these quotes in the Revelation. Maybe it's because it's, you know, there's a connotation or a, 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 a dealing with wickedness as well. And it says the wicked are told that they're like the, the troubled sea when he cannot rest. His waters cast up mire and dirt. That's out of Isaiah chapter 57, verse 20. And, uh, maybe because it's, they're just not necessary any longer. But during the millennium, think about this too, going back before this, the eternal part in chapter 21. During the millennium, the population of the earth is going to explode. Literally. Because you're going to have a thousand years where people don't die. There's no more sin. There's not going to be death. The tempter's not there. Nobody's going to be murdering one another. And so you're going to have all these people born during the millennium. And so, you know, you've got to think, where are they going to live? Where are you going to put them if you're going to have that type of population explosion? I mean, everything's going to be, men are going to honor their wives. Wives are going to honor their husbands. You know, children are going to be a blessing. They're going to be the heritage of the Lord. And blessed are the man whose quiver is full of arrows, you know. So you're going to see this major population explosion. And so think about today. The world today is covered with about two-thirds of water in oceans. And another for, uh, uh, another uh, fifth of it, I should say, is this uninhabitable terrain. But in the millennium, think about this. the deserts are going to bloom. the oceans uh, probably are going to be uh, scaled back somewhat. And in Noah's day before the flood, the scripture says that the the great deep was broken and the waters covered the earth's surface. And so, in other words, probably prior to even the great flood, and we see in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, that uh, there wasn't as much water upon the earth anyway until the great flood came and they receded back. And so we're going to receive a return to the way it it should have been. And so you're going to have a, a lot more land because of the great population that's going to come out of the millennium. And so 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, but it's written, I want you to think about this. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither is entered in the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him and so this picture of this new earth folks it 's not going to be anything like we 're used to seeing it 's going to be more like a uh, like the Garden of Eden revisited and so all the thorns and the thistles and the weeds growing up, the you're not going to see any of that. You're not going to even see. It's going to come a time where the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Yeah, are there going to be animals? Actually, there're going to be animals on the earth, but uh, uh, you, you can walk up and pet your uh, the 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 lion or the tiger just like you can the the, the kitty that curls up in a ball on your on your, your on your fireplace. You know, it's it's gonna it's gonna be that type of environment, and so you can't even comprehend. Just the, the nature of things, you know, the, 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 the harvest is going to be plenteous. Everything's going to be in perfection. And so that's pretty exciting for us to think about it. You know, men are always trying to, to make their own modern utopias. They always come short. This is not a utopia, folks. This is the new earth that God has been creating. This is in verse, uh, verse 2. This is really exciting. And he says, "I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out, uh, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband." What's neat, folks? There's two Jerusalems that are mentioned in Scripture, and you can look at Galatians chapter four, verses twenty-five and twenty-six, and also Hebrews uh, twelve twenty-two, Galatians four twenty-five and twenty-six, and Hebrews twelve twenty-two. And so, these two Jerusalems that are mentioned in, in Scripture, one's earthly, obviously, in its. uh going to be the home of the believers during the millennial period. And so during the millennial period, this this Jerusalem right there where it's at geographically today, it's going to be a place where the believers are during that that thousand year reign. The other, though, is a heavenly Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem or this celestial city which is going to be hovering over the earth eternally following the millennial reign or this post-millennial creation of the new heaven and new earth. Now get a picture of that just for a second. I'm going to describe it just a little bit more. You're going to have the regular physical Jerusalem right there, the city of David where it's at. But you're going to have this enormous city that is hovering over the, the world, right there over, over the, the, the Jerusalem for eternity. And I'm going to give you a description of it in just a second. And it's it's undoubtedly the, the one that, that Christ uh, said that he was going to go prepare 2,000 years ago. You know, he said that I go to prepare a place for you. And he said that in my Father's house there's going to be many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would not have told you. And so... Think about this. For the last 2,000 years, it's been a work of preparation. Can you imagine just how magnificent this place is? The one that, now think about, here's what's amazing. The one that created the heavens and the earth in six days has taken 2,000 years to prepare the place for our dwelling. Now, folks, that's staggering. To think, as, as glorious as the earth was when he created it, as glorious as it was for the, 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 the heavens and the earth, the, the planetary system, the universe, as magnificent as that is, it only took six days to do it. But he's strategically and specifically taken 2,000 years to this point in order to prepare that. What does that tell, tell, tell me? It tells me that he really loves me. It tells me that he really loves his creation. He's taken that type of detail. The God who speaks and things happen in an instant has taken that type of time period to prepare. I go to prepare a place for you. And so uh, the, it's going to be un- unbelievable. And it's going to be like a, a groom preparing basically the dowry for his bride at the, at the wedding feast. And so we see this right here. The current earth right now is really in a transition uh, until the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, or when the redeemed is, is, uh, when that which is, has fallen is going to be redeemed. And think about this. There's a, a principle called entropy. E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. E-N-T-R-O-P-Y. And basically what entropy is, is the dissipation of energy to a lower form. And so, Scientists can even see that listen something 's happening. They, they show the world is moving in this downward state from order to disorder from its original creation, and so there 's this digression, and so it 's like a countdown they, they say, you know what in x amount of years, you know our sun is going to turn into a red giant, and eventually the earth 's going to be destroyed well that 's that's, that's entropy that 's the, 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 the the, the dissipation of energy from its first form to something less. You know, you take a log, you throw a log on the fire. When it's first thrown on the fire, what? It's, it's whole and it's got all this potential energy. But as it burns down, what happens? The flame begins to flicker. There's less raw energy that's being able to consume. Folks, the exact same things happened with creation. When God created earth, he created imperfection. But once man fell and sin entered in, what's happened? There's been this entropy. There's been this dissolution and this uh, dissipation of energy from its perfect form. And you see, you've seen the same thing in mankind. When Adam was created, he was created in per- perfection. Here he was, a guy that was given the authority over the, the, the birds the air, the, the sea, the fish in the sea, everything that crawled, he was given Given that type of dominion authority, he was even given responsibility to name everything. But look at how this dissipation has taken, this entropy has even happened in humanity. You know, Adam lived over 900 years along with Methuselah and, and different ones. But as time has gone through, now if somebody lives 100 years. Which is just a ninth of less than a ninth of what Adam lived. Man, we're rejoiced to say, boy, they've lived a long life. Well, they're just babies compared to, to what Adam was. Why? Because of this entropy. But when the new earth and the new heaven are created, folks, it's going to return back to that place of perfection that He has for us. And it says, and look what it Says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, for me that you know, and I, you know, here I am. I'll preach this again anytime I get the chance. But you see how God has referred to us in the scripture in relationship to his son Jesus. It's constantly, we're called the bride. We see that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Folks, you know, I think about people a lot, you know, today, especially as we see the coming of the Lord so near. And we talk to people on the streets that are, that claim to be Christians, they claim to be believers. And I had a man come by last night. His name was David Walker. Was his name? And we stopped him, began to talk to him, and within I, I didn't get five words out of my mouth. Usually it takes me at least ten to get somebody very upset, but I got five words out of my my mouth, and you could tell this guy was very perturbed. The reason being is not because I particularly called him out or anything. It was because this man claimed to be a believer, and he just got. Spanked, so to speak, he got confronted by the fact that there's Christians out there in the midst of this preaching righteousness, and he's just a participant in it and so basically what he said he said listen you' you'll really turn people off and you know the same old song and dance I've heard for twenty years and uh and he said, listen you don't know about me you don't know you, you know I serve God he said you know you, you don't realize that you know I teach a Sunday school class every Sunday at nine o'clock, and so I just began to to ask him so what are you, what are you doing now and you know he never said anything about reaching out to to the lost and dying and, you know, I think about just just the whole attitude of, quote-unquote, the modern church. Is it adorned as a bride for its husband? Or is it a harlot? And you can think of the harlotry. And you, we meet uh, many women out there on the streets. This is bike week here for you guys that are listening to this live here in Daytona Beach. And so you have these people that are wearing, wearing, wearing very revealing dress. They look like the world. We know what James 4 4 says that the, the friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so you begin to take them to the word and begin to so Who are you adorned for? You're out here looking like some biker chick. You're out here, you know, showing pretty much everything you have. To a world, are you adorned as a bride for her husband? And what's interesting about that is many times it is husbands and wives that are walking together, and the husband is buying his wife things that that make her look basically like a, a harlot. Folks, listen, that's not the bride that Jesus Christ is coming back for. And that's certainly not the picture that we have of this uh, new Jerusalem coming out of heaven as a bride uh, prepared for her husband. And, you know, there's been such a, uh, you know, I think I see it physically manifesting uh, what's happening spiritually. I think about Ephesians chapter 22 through, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 22 through through, 32. And it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You know why there's a, you know, in what's happening in people today, uh, are, are seeing that. You don't see wives submitting themselves to your husband. You don't see that, that honor within the family. Why? Because it is. They're, they're submitting themselves to the husband in the same degree that they submit themselves unto the Lord. Not at all. In rebellion, self-serving, uh, this, uh, the, the, this feminism that's overtaking the world. And it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so you do not see that type of attitude in the family because that is reflective of their attitude towards Christ. Then here's the next part. For you wives, think I'm just picking on you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as christ uh, as, as their wives as their own bodies, he that loves his wives loves himself for no man has yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it, and he cherishes it as, as the Lord did the church, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be uh, joined unto his wife, for they shall be one flesh there 's that picture we see in verse two of chapter twenty one This is the great mystery says in verse thirty two he said but listen up folks i 'm speaking concerning Christ. And the church, and so we have a model here on earth in regards to what's going to happen in Revelation twenty-one two, and that is the marriage covenant, folks. I tell you what, if you can't walk in fidelity, so to speak, towards the marriage covenant now, you'll never be a part of that picture of Revelation twenty-one two. You see, ministers, pastors, uh, television, uh, Christian television personalities that are casting off their wives. The next time you see them on the program, they have somebody else on there, and it's a new wife, and and they just think, folks, listen, God is not mocked. Be not deceived. Whatever man sows, that shall he also uh, uh, reap. And so there's a there's a consequence to that. And the the thing that God has given us in this lifetime, you look at Christian marriages, you're failing right and left, just like uh, just like uh, worldly marriages. Why? Because they are submitting and they're loving just like they do Christ, which is typically not at all. So when I see that picture, I see it in in relationship to that. So men, I challenge you, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Set that example for that type of fidelity towards that honor and to that righteousness. And what you're going to see is you're going to see it reflected in your wife and how she addresses you. So if you're not the spiritual uh, leader of your family, repent and believe the gospel or get ready to go to hell. Because you can't, and I just put it bluntly to you. Because if you can't, uh, if you can't be a, a, a walk in righteousness in that relationship, and you expect to walk in righteousness uh, or be declared righteous by Christ Jesus, uh, I got bad news for you. It's not ever going to work. God's not mocked. And so, verse three says this: "It says, and I heard a great voice out of it." Do you think it was too harsh? It wasn't too harsh, was it? That's just pretty much straight up. Uh, and, I, and I hold to the same criteria too for in my life and in my family. It says in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he shall be their God. Now, folks, listen. That's that's dancing time. Why? Because that takes us right back to where Adam and Eve were able to walk with God in the cool of the day. We finally get... To regain the, the, the God perspective. We get to come to that place of Him tabernacle. I heard a great voice out of heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men. He will dwell with them. Who will walk with Him in the cool of the day. We will have access to Him, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with Him. Folks, listen. Think about it. To this point, God's tabernacle had previously been located in heaven. That's where His, his throne was. Now we discover, basically, He's putting in a change of address. And the all the Almighty descends to earth with his heavenly entourage. He's going to have this settling into this place, the New Jerusalem. And, and basically, he's going to begin to his, 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 his rulership from this satellite city that's, that's hovering over that place. And, you know, man is going to return to a relationship with the Creator like never before. Folks, think about it. In the tabernacle that was uh, there at Mount Sinai in the wilderness... You know, the the high priest was the only one that could, uh, could approach. He's the only one that can go in. Now, everyone that has been redeemed by the blood of Christ will have direct and personal access to God himself. Folks, you're not going to have to call up and get an appointment six months in advance. Boom, right there, you're going to be able to have it. I had a guy call me the other day that I got to talk to. And he said, listen, I've been trying. He said, man, I appreciate talking to you the other day. He said, because we had a conversation probably about 45 minutes. He lives in another city and part of a church. And he said, listen, I, I, he said, I can't ever talk to my pastor. He said, uh, "I haven't in the years that I've gone there, he said, I don't think I've ever had this long of a conversation with him in years. He said, so I appreciate it. He said, I've called and you get an appointment, and the appointment gets changed and canceled. Folks, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to when he tabernacles with us, when we get to be with God... It's not going to be an appointment. He's not going to put us off. We're going to have fellowship with Him constantly and continuously. We're going to have His presence with us. I, I tell you what, my, my cell phone's finally going to stop ringing people asking me questions because you're going to be able to just bypass Pastor Troy and go directly to him. And so I'm going to say, y'all y'all's going to have to t- take it directly to, to the Father. It's, it's exciting. i will teased with that. I don't mind people calling me now. But, you know, think, of, think about that type of access. There's not going to be any questions that are going to be unanswered. There's not going to be any situation that's going to be uh, that's going to confound us. Because why? The one who knows all things, creates all things, upholds all things by by, by his power, and we're going to be accessible to him. So the redeemed, now think about this, folks. The redeemed, those that were part of that first resurrection, in, their, in our glorified bodies, we're going to live in this new Jerusalem. That's going to be our place. And so those with bodies of flesh are those who were born and saved during the millennial hour. Uh, they're going to live their in, eternal state in their natural bodies. So I want you to think about that just for a second. We that were were, were part of that, that resurrection, we that that, that that were raptured, we're going to have a glorified body that's going to provide us a, a very, very unique and, and supernatural access. Those who were born during that, that uh, millennium, like I t- talked about yesterday, there's going to be people that are there's going to predict procreation forever because that's why God created us. They're going to be in a physical body that's not going to fade away. It's going to be rejuvenated because the, the, the lack of sin and no, no sin is going to be there anymore. But they're going to be living on, on the earth. And so they're going to live on earth in, in and under the light of that holy city. And you, and you see that right here in chapter 21, verse 24. And so the, the really the beauty and what's glorious about this whole scene is that God is going to dwell right in the midst of his people. Behold, I love this. The tabernacle of God is with men, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and their God. And so think about this too. And it's exciting for me because you know, when I dream, folks, my, my means of transportation, my dreams is always flying around. Okay, I really am. I mean it may sound silly, but I just if I need to leave, go to sort of my dreams, I'm just I zoom over there. With a glorified body, you're not going to be limited by the gravitational pull of the earth you don't be limited by anything so we'll have that access from the new Jerusalem back to planet earth why would we need that We'll need that because of the role that we have, ruling with Him and that responsibility that we have in Him. Plus, we'll be examples to them. We'll be we'll be examples to the love of God and the transformational power of faith in the cross of Calvary for those that are, that are in a physical body. They're going to be in a physical body. They're going to see just how good God was. They're going to see the redemption that God had for us. And so we'll be able to, to, to transverse between both of those places. And so I say that. I think it's interesting. You know, we get this idea sometimes, and I touched on this yesterday, about what you're going to be doing. We're going to, where are we going to be? We're going to be in heaven. Well, we're going to have access to heaven, certainly. But we're going to dwell in the New Jerusalem, we as believers. And where's the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem going to be? It's going to be the city that is hovering right there over the earth, the city that's built four square. And so it says, And God shall wipe away all tears. And, then, and I, want to, I want to make that point clear, because he said, I saw in verse uh, 2... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and so where's our abode going to be? Is it going to be in heaven? No, it's going to be in the New Jerusalem, which came out of heaven, which is right there. So think about that just for a second as you begin to think. Yeah, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Well, actually, that's that's kind of a uh, not exactly correct. You're going to have access to heaven, but uh, definitely not. That's not going to be your 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 address or your residence. And so. Uh, Here's what he said in verse 4. He said, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more uh, death, no more sorrow, nor crying, nor shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Folks, this ought to get you excited. Think about all the crying, all the, uh, uh, all the sorrow, all the things that you go through. Folks, one day it's going to come to an end. It is. All those things that you sweat over right now and you, you labor over, those things that concern you right now, folks, that stuff is going to come to an end. And so if it's going to come to an end, why give it any time now? You know why? 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 Why allow it to consume you now when you know that stuff's going to pass away anyhow? And he said, so he's going to pass those things away. Think of it, folks: pain, sorrow, crying, death—all those things eliminated in this place of eternal life. There, uh, you know, we're not going to—we're not going to be uh, in, in a state of just wondering what's going to happen. That's why First Corinthians fifteen fifty-five says, "Oh, death, where is your single grave, where is your victory?" You know, death is going to be swallowed up in victory. So every single moment of every single day, uh, uh, in every single life is going to be a cry of victory. We're not going to be worried about what happened last week or last year or 2,000 years ago. What we're going to be excited about is the moment that we're going to dwell in that holy city. We're going to tabernacle with God. He's going to be right there with us. And and, and all those other things that, that caused us so much grief are going to fade away. And so... In addition, everything associated with death is also going to be eliminated for all eternity. No more disease, no more cancer, no more heart attacks, no more accidents, no more wars, no more anything. Because truly, it's going to be finished. It's going to be a finished work. And so, uh, folks, we're going to see him face to face. we're going to see that in chapter 22, verse 4 as well. And so, just that whole place. And so, in addition sin is going to cease to exist as well. There's not going to be any any such thing as this. Sin. sin is just going to be something that maybe you, you read about in a, in a library somewhere. I mean, it's not, going to, it's not going to exist. There's not going to be any more sin because Satan is going to be internally incarcerated in, in the lake of fire. He's not going to be there to tempt anyone. A new day, a new heaven, a new earth is going to be presented to us. Then in verses 5 and 6, it says... He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Somebody say all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I will give unto them that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So, God, uh, uh, God speaks to John. And, and he, he tells, tells him it's finished, it's done. And so he tells him, I've completed my redemptive work that, that, that was accomplished at the cross. And he, he, he tells him, listen, it's finished, God's made all things new, it's done, uh, total, everything that needs to happen is happening. So his will is accomplished through Jesus Christ, his son. And now, what's happened? The curse of sin has been broken the, the one that's the Alpha and the Omega. And, you know, Alpha and Omega, it's the, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So basically he's saying, listen, uh, everything from the beginning to the end, I've accomplished it. And you can look at uh, all creation really began without sin in, in Colossians 1, 15 through 19. Now it's going to end without sin. And so all those things that have happened begin without sin. They're going to end without sin. And so in this uh, the, the, the new Jerusalem, the spiritual thirst of God's people is also going to be satisfied forever. Think about this just for a second. Remember that uh, uh, Jesus spoke in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 to the, uh, the, the Samaritan woman. And he told her, he said, whoever drinks of this water, talking about the well that they were at, shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be him a well of springing up unto everlasting life. And so, folks, what's happening here is that, look what he said. He said, You will drink, he said, I will give unto him that is the thirst of the water of, uh, of life freely. We'll be able to drink. And so, our spiritual thirst, our hunger after righteousness and holiness, the times where we get parched because of problems, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to drink freely from the, 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 the wellspring of life. And think about what he says. He said, I will give unto them as the thirst, the fountain of everlasting life, freely. Folks, it's going to be ours to possess for all eternity. You know what's interesting? When I think back, during the millennial, it says that the water is going to flow out of the temple on Mount Moriah and it's going to flow eastward towards the Dead Sea. You know, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. There's nothing flowing into it or out of it. It's just dead. And so the Dead Sea Even itself is going to be healed. It's going to become alive. And so when we look at water scripturally, it's a a picture of both physical and spiritual life flowing to the throne of God. Now check this out. Ezekiel chapter 47, 1 and 7. Ezekiel 47, 1 and 7. It says, "...He brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the front of the temple faced east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar." When I returned there uh, along the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows eastward towards the region, goes down to the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are Healed. And he's speaking prophetically right there just about how all this water is going to flow out of God. And that being a healing stream, he's going to cause his waters to flow into our hearts and lives. Where all, any thirst is instantaneously going to be, be removed. I'm not talking about a physical thirst. I'm talking about a spiritual thirst. Anything that we would ever lack, anything that we would ever desire, then there's going to be a fullness that's going to be pouring out of us. Why? Because when I believe on the Scriptures, the Word says... Out of my belly is going to flow rivers of living water. And because I'm going to dwell with Him and Him and I, and, and, and I'm going to have that access to Him, everything about me is going to flow the waters, uh, the living waters of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7 it says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be His God and He shall be my Son. He that what? Overcomes. Folks, well, what's an overcomer? Now, if you look at 1 John 5 four, it's one that believes on the Son of God. But the overcomer is the one that says, listen, this, this world is not my habitation. An overcomer is one that, that doesn't constantly walk in stress. An overcomer is not one that's constantly walking in, in fear. An overcomer is not one that's always constantly, is one that's not constantly walking in, in, in bitterness and resentment. He said, to the overcomer, will inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Folks, listen, if, if God is not the God of your life now, he will not be the God of your life then. Do you hear what I'm saying? If, if, if God is not the, 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 the God over whatever you're facing today... Do not expect him to be the God of everything you're facing in Revelation twenty one seven in the near future. You've got to follow after him and pursue after him now and allow him to be your God. And it says though he that overcomes shall inherit all things. And what's what's that inheritance? It's been it's the sonship of God. And it's promised to everyone that's thirsty, that allows their thirst to be quenched in, in Christ Jesus. It's coming to that place of being a, a, a son and a child of God. Now look at this too. Romans chapter eight, seventeen and eighteen. It says the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are what children of God. Can you imagine being there with the Spirit of God is right there with you? What's he going to say? It's going to say, "I am a child of God and the children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together." For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Folks, you know, for me, boy, that lightens the load. When I think about anything that I'd have to go through uh, in this lifetime, when I when I get my eyes on eternity, it makes it real easy. Why on earth would I ever want to have contention with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Why on earth would I ever want to get stressed out over some temporal circumstance that I may be put in? Why would I ever want to cock myself over the head thinking about uh, problems with, uh, with with finances or f- something's not getting done that I think need? Folks, listen, in the scope of eternity, man, nothing's going to compare. And so I don't want to I don't want to set myself up to be to have this, this 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 carnality in my thinking. I want to look towards that blessed promise. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because I know that there's a crown laid up for those that love His appearing. Then it says in verse eight, it says, "But think of I'm going. To go out, he that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and He shall be my son." Verse seven. Now look at verse eight though. But the fearful, are you fearful? Unbelieving? Do you have a problem with your belief? The abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, listen, this text, you can't get any plainer than that. It it talks about who those are going to be condemned to judgment of chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15, are going to be cast into the, the lake of fire. You know, they're not given a reprieve, they're not given a pass. They're not given a writ of habeas corpus. They're not given any of those things. What's happening? They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. But look what, what look what Revelation twenty one says. It says, "Listen, no changes are possible. Those who who stood before God's white throne judgment did did and did not make that change. They're going to be judged eternally. Now look who they are. Number one, the fearful, or or those who." Who are, are, are more concerned with what man thinks or what than what God thinks? They're, they're fearful to trust Jesus. They're, they're fearful to, to, to cast all their cares upon him. Folks I gotta ask you a question, are you fearful? If you're fearful, you'll never be called faithful. You hear what I'm saying? You can't serve two masters. And so the fearful, unbelieving, all these things, they're going to be a part of the second death. And so what we got to say is, God, you have not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And so when I when I identify through my heart and my actions with fear, what am I doing? I'm identify myself with verse 8 of Revelation chapter 21. Folks, you've got to flee that type of fear and let you, the only fear that you have or the only uh, 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 moral dread of being displeasing, let it be to God, not to man, not to how people are going to look at you, not to what people are going to think, not to the opinion of other people. And so that's fearful. That's being worried about what man thinks. And so not only the fearful, but the unbelieving. Or those who rejected Christ, deity, those who rejected the, the sacrifice of the, the, the cross, those who who, who are uh, atheists, those who don't believe. You know, last time we were talking to a guy and he basically said, you know, I don't believe. And so it took him to Revelation one eight here and said, you know what, it doesn't matter if you believe. You're still going to have a place in the lake of fire. And so, you know, the, the disciples cried and said, God, help our unbelief. You know what, I don't want to be an unbeliever. I don't want to be an unbeliever to any degree in my life. I want to believe every single thing that the Word of God teaches. And so uh, the third thing, he said, is the abominable, or those that are engaged in any type of wicked practices. You know, they, they, these are people, too. This is what's interesting. These are probably people that spoke the language of Christianity but did not have the life of Christianity. And you see that all the time. And it's, it's the ultimate abomination. And I can look at the sixth chapter of the book. matter of fact, I'll just turn there real quick. Think about this. Let's go all the way back to uh, to Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter six. Just read something to you, talking about this the the abominable. Because most people don't want to think, you know what? I'm an I'm abominable. But but let me read something to you. It says these things. These six things does the Lord hate, and yes, seven are even an abomination unto Him. And so the abominable are going to have a place in that lake of fire, the second death. And here's who they are. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devised wicked imaginations. Always just thinking up something. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. Always getting in trouble. A false witness that speaks lies. Are you lying on somebody? Are you, uh, are you bearing false witness against a brother? He that sows now here's a tough one. he's that sows seeds of discord among brethren. Are you just a busybody? Are you a a, a, a gossip? And he says, my son. Then he, then he says, those that sow seeds of uh, discord among the brethren. Think about those things just for a second, folks. Those put you in a place of abomination. Are you prideful? Or if you, you just don't want God to deal with you, you don't want to admit mistakes. You don't want to admit fault. You don't want to make things right. You're stiff-necked. You have a lying tongue. You sow seeds of discord and you shed innocent blood. In other words, you, you wreck other people's uh, uh, reputation. You're always just picking at them, talk, talking down, and, and character assassination. Think about all those things that people do that are called abomination. You know, it, it talks about in Titus 1:6, it says that they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and every good work reprobate. And so, if I say that I know him, if I love him, if I follow him, but I'm not doing the things he did, if I'm not loving and forgiving and walking in righteousness, he calls me an abomination. The fifth thing he says, the whoremongers or those who are engaged in any type of, uh, of, of, of sexual immorality. That could be fornication, premarital sex, it could be adultery, extramarital flings, any type of perversions. Those type of things, the whoremongers, those that are, 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 are deviant in their, their sexuality, they're not going to have a place either. And so that guy that has an affair, or that Christian leader that has an affair on his wife and divorces her and marries somebody else, folks, he's a whoremonger. The Scripture says if I, don't, if I put off my wife for any reason but for their, not my own adultery, that I become an adulterer. They will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. And so it doesn't matter how popular they are. It doesn't matter how good they preach. It doesn't matter how great a following If they fall under the category of a whoremonger, the Bible says they will have their place in the second death. I read something the other day that says, you know, there's just a great debate. You know, we've got to really just center on the the, the main things. And there's a great debate over, you know, the whole divorce and remarriage things. Folks, there's no debate. It's been settled right here. There's 31,101 verses. You can find a whole ton of stuff. Uh, or, or, or uh, passage of Scripture, you're going to have a, a whole ton of stuff just specifically on on the marriage covenant. Folks, listen, there's no debate. And I tell you what, if you think you have a debate, well, you're not going to have a debate when point number five comes up and and he identifies you as a whoremonger. Folks, listen, we cannot continue to walk in that type of thing, uh, immorality, and think God's going to honor that. Then, the sixth thing, he said the sorcerers are those who practiced uh, any type of drunkenness, Sorcery, pharmakeia is where we get that word for. uh, Getting high, uh, getting loaded. All these people, well, you know what? I've got a new liberty. There's this great thing going through Christianity right now. These Christians think they can drink and, and, and have these cocktail parties. And they call it a new liberty. No, well, the scripture calls it sorcery. And that new liberty is going to usher them into the, the, the pits of hell for all eternity. they're going to miss out on experiencing the new Jerusalem. Uh, idolaters, for number seven. Or those who uh, worshipped anything other than the living and true God. Any type of idolatry. Any people that put anything above their relationship with God. You know, he told us in, in 1 John 5.21, he said, listen, little children. He said, keep yourself from idols. And so, what has become an idol in your life? Is anything... uh any more important to you than your pursuit of righteousness and walking in holiness towards Him. Then finally, number eight, all liars are those who deceive others, who distort the truth, who destroy anybody else by their lies and by their conversation. They're going to have a place in that place as well. Then in verse nine... It says, And there came out uh, unto me one of the seven angels, which had had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. And he talked to me, and he said, Come here, and I'm going to show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And so here's that angel coming out, and he said, Come on, uh, John, I want to show you uh, something that's going to just blow you away. I'm going to show you something that you've been waiting a long time to see. Then in verse 10, it says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven. Folks, listen. The, the bride here is pictured as that city. The New Jerusalem. Why? Because a city is composed of what people. Uh, uh, city without uh, people is just a, a artifact. It has nothing to do with with life. And so, uh, all those things that make up the city, the structure of the city, are basically they're just. Aids to complement and to benefit the people. And so it's a city. So he's seeing this city uh, coming down from God, and he's showing him the, this holy Jerusalem. Then verse 11 through 14 he says, It has the glory of God, and her light was like unto the stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and the twelve gates, twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Folks, well, listen. We look at the scripture. Walls were uh, were erected for protection. That's not going to be the case in this situation. You see these walls all the way around the city. Basically, what it's going to do is it serve as a symbol of God's eternal defense of His body and of His holiness and righteousness. And so, you know, we see that God has protected us. God has uh, enabled us. Took. Took this, uh, took the group that the tribulation saints through the through the, the through the tribulation. All these things we've seen God do in our own lives that have been in, been in fact that memorial to Him. So this wall, it's almost like going to the to one of these like the Vietnam memorial. and You see this wall with all these names on it. That's really what that's kind of a picture of. It's a memorial that stands with these names that are written on it as a memorial and a testimony of what God has did. And so it also describes twelve gates, uh, each one uh, inscribed with one of the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And it says that the gates are staffed basically with angels. And what do those angels do? Basically, they're going to uh, welcome those who... Uh, possess the right and the privilege to be uh, a part of that city. We'll see some more of that in chapter 22, verse 14. And so there's going to, they're going to be the doorkeepers. They're going to be recognizing those saints that, that 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 God has redeemed. And there's going to be a constant welcoming. You know, welcome, welcome, welcome. To the to the New Jerusalem, and so the twelve angels standing at these entrances are, uh, you know, they're, they're they're possibly those who worked jointly with each tribe during that, that the, their, their time in uh, Israel when they uh, when the people uh, were were sojourning in the people of Israel. And we also note that the gates are inscribed with the names of the twelve tribes, and the foundation of the wall itself contains the names of the twelve apostles. And so, uh, you see, just that's that law in the prophets, and we see the, the two covenants coming together to establish this place. Now, I want you to look at the size of the city. It says, he talked with me, and he had a golden reed to measure that. He had a golden uh, uh, yardstick, so to speak, and the gates thereof and the walls thereof. That's what he's measuring them with. In a city that lieth four square... And the length is as large as its breadth. In other words, it's as long as it is tall. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. And the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, uh, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. Now, folks, the angel measured the city. And he takes and he uses this golden reed or this measuring rod. And you, you think about that, that's not going to be unusual because we know that the, the streets uh, are made of pure gold. The city is, you see that in verse 18. And so he begins to give this thing. The fact that he gives these dimensions, 12,000 furlongs. And most people believe that a furlong is 1,500 miles. And so 12,000 furlongs consists of 1,500 miles. And so the golden city is 1,500 miles square or 12,000 stadia, which make uh, uh, 1,500 miles. Now, if I place this city, this New Jerusalem, over the, the United States, here's how it would extend. The northernmost part would be all the way up to Maine. The southernmost part would be all the way down to the Keys in Florida, the southernmost tip of Florida. And it would go from the eastern seaboard, the eastern east coast, all the way to the Rocky Mountains. Now think about that. From Maine to the tip of Florida, from the east coast all the way to the Rocky Mountains. And it's going to be a city that's cu- a cube. Folks, there's no city that has, was, or ever been that size. And not only is it going to be that size on one level, but it's going to be that size... All the way up in a perfect square. So can you imagine the enormity of this city? Giant. I mean, it takes up half the half basically half the the, the, the miles of the of North America, of the United States of America. That is just one city that's going to house those people. So it's going to extend uh, pro- approximately 216 feet in height, and uh, because the cubit is the distance from the elbow to the end of the middle finger, uh, finger, possibly about 18 inches. So. Enormous spectacle. You know what's interesting to me? The enemy is always trying to uh, 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 put out some type of uh, counterfeit to it. Think about some of the movies that have come out recently. Think about Independence Day that happened a number of years ago. And uh, this invasion from from space. And you had these gigantic ships that were just hovering over the earth. Think about with, with science fiction. Folks, all they're doing is trying to uh, present a some type of false picture of what's going to happen because, listen, that's literally going to happen. There's going to be this. Sin. And in the, the, I think it was Star, Star Trek, the television program, there was this vessel called the Borg. And the board was a big block, a four square block that went, and the thing was resistance is futile. And see, you see, and you see how all that stuff is. Why would they have a big block floating through space? Well, because whoever came with it, whether it was Gene Roddenberry or somebody that worked with him that did that, they had to have read the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation and tried to just uh, uh, pollute and tried to pervert what the Bible teaches about it. And it says the building of the wall was like Jasper. This is verses 18 through 21. And the city was pure gold like unto clear glass, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first was jasper, second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth Sardonx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasis, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth uh, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every uh, gate was one of pearl, and the city, uh, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now, folks, look at that picture. You know, we look at the different things on the wall. And at first, that jasper basically represents Christ in His radiant glory, being surrounding the saints. Then the next, it pure gold. It typifies basically the righteousness of God, holy in nature, and all those coloring, colorful stones. They just talk about the brilliance of God, the glory of God, and they talk about his, uh, his attributes all throughout His redemptive work. And so, look at that scene, this beautiful city. All the saints of the ages are going to come together and we're going to live, and live in that place. And there's going to be holiness, righteousness, truth, and we're going to dwell in the midst of Him. And He said in verse 22, He said, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Folks, listen. On earth, God always had to have a dwelling place. He had the the, 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 the Holy of Holies, a temple he had a tabernacle where people could come and worship and commune with him but folks listen once we get to this place it's no longer needed why? because he said I tabernacle with men I'm going to be right there with you And so he chose to dwell in the midst of us rather than us having to come to a place for him and so verse 23 and the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof now think about that for a second he said in, in, in John eight twelve that he was the light of the world. And so he's going to be literally the light of the world. Can you imagine a place that you're not having to wait for the sun to come up to cast out darkness? There's no darkness in him. There's no shadow of turning. His light is going to be, the, the glory of the Lord is going to light the city. So you know what's powerful about that? You think about uh, that place. Folks, there's going to be people they are going to have to eat. So what does that tell you? There's going to be crops planted. Now, you know what crops require? Light. Now, it's 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 neat enough when you think about sunlight fueling those crops and what they produce. Can you imagine when He is the light that causes things to grow? Isn't that that's powerful for me to think of? They're going to grow as a result of His presence. Now, that's going to be some good corn on the cob, folks, right there, if I need to put it that way. And you just see how everything is going to be influenced and affected by the presence of the Lord. And it says, And all the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it, and the gates of it shall uh, not be shut all day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations to it. Folks, this is what it says right there. It says the kings of the earth. Folks, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be, and you know, we again, you know, I, I hear people talk. They don't want to to come to the conclusion that there's going to be order. There's going to be positions. There's going to be responsibilities in eternity. And so they're still going to be, quote-unquote, kings on the earth. Why? Because he's made us to be kings and priests. And when are they going to come? They're going to go to that city, even even representative of the, the, the people in physical uh Perfect bodies, they're going to have representatives. They're going to have authorities that God places over people and, and, and dignitaries and these things that are going to come continuously bringing an offering unto God at that place. And He's going to be the light thereof. And there's going to be constant access. The door is never going to be shut. We're always going to have access to Him. We don't have to make an appointment. In verse 7, it says, There shall be in no wise enter into it anything that defiles Anything that works abominations or make the lie or that which are written or not written uh, but only those things which are written in the Lamb's Book of Life or those ones that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Folks, listen. Chapter 21 ought to be, the, like I said, exciting for us because that's exactly what we get to look forward to. And if you're not ready to do that, folks, just repent and believe the gospel. Allow Christ Jesus to become the center of your heart and life. And you'll have the promise of chapter 21 as well. Folks, we're totally, totally out of time today. But we'll be back on, I guess today's Friday for you guys that are live. We'll be back on Monday for chapter 22. May or may not get through chapter 22. We'll see what happens in that. But it's been really an exciting time for that. Pray for us. We're going to be out back out on the streets for us this live uh, during bike, uh, this bike event. That God just begins to soften people's hearts. And that we can bring people to the realization of who Jesus Christ is. Folks, so one bit of advice for you today to close out. You know what it is? Get into God's Word. In God's Word will get into the